Vegetarianism has started impacting the meat industry in developed economies like the U.S. and the U.K., but the trend hasn't quite caught on in Africa, where it seems to be more a case of chicken or beef. So how much of a potential cash cow is Africa's meat industry? I'm Alicia Sekum, and you're watching Africa Inc. According to European food researcher Gira, Africa's meat consumption has been rising 4% annually since 2004. And that's only official estimates as livestock production and consumption still heavily resides in the realm of the informal sector, leaving the continent vulnerable to external shocks like the recent El Nino drought that affecting the ebb and flow of supply. But that doesn't mean that a more commercialized country like South Africa doesn't get hit too. So what does Africa need to beef up on to mitigate against the risk? Anton van Rensburg, executive at the Association of Meat Importers and Exporters, will be carving out the meat landscape in terms of demand and where intra-Africa trade sits as Southern Africa and Comesa look to ramp up exports to more developed markets like the United States and Europe instead. RCL Foods in the meantime is amongst the players affected by cheap imports which has seen it cut down on its workforce in a bid to rein in costs and more effectively compete against global industry. But with the recent bird flu outbreaks seeing to a possible shortage of chicken in southern Africa, could imports now be the only answer to catering to Africa's consumer needs? We catch up with the company's consumer managing director Scott Pittman. Drought, cheap imports and the avian flu have all been factors contributing to volatility in meat prices of late. But the JSC says that meat futures on the derivatives market can be used as a tool to get a handle on the wild fluctuations. Commodities manager at the stock exchange, Rafael Karuai, will be joining us a little later on to get into the kind of activity we're seeing in carcass trading right now as farmers look to cushion the impact. But before we get into all of those meaty discussions, I'm going to hand over to Bronwyn now so she can hone in on the state of South Africa's poultry and egg industry in particular. Thanks, Alicia. Well, Africa is set to experience a boom in demand for animal products over the next few decades. Already, the region is experiencing an annual 4% rise in meat consumption. And in 2015 alone, the total meat volume consumed rose to 22 million tons. That's according to a report by Jira. The rise in the continent's population, which is set to reach 2.4 billion in 2050, could result in the demand for meat, milk and eggs to almost quadruple as the middle class grows and diets improve. Per capita animal protein consumption sits at just 23 kilograms per person. That's well below the global average when compared to countries like Australia, where meat consumption per person averages at 111.5 kilograms. So there is significant room for expansion for businesses that operate in this space. For example, Uganda is the number one pork consumer in Africa. That's according to a report from the International Livestock Research Institute. 1.1 million households keep pigs and 3.5 
million smallholder farmers directly depend on the animal, while millions are employed in the value chain. But while the pork sector is growing by leaps and bounds, it is facing a number of challenges, like high feed costs and the poor quality and quantity of feeds. The country is looking at innovative ways to tackle those challenges. Uganda is also the biggest producer of sweet potato, and using the vines from those crops could supply the industry with a cheap source of quality feeds for the pigs. Looking at an example of a more established market, South African consumers consume around 39 kilograms of poultry meat a year, and there are many players in the market, but the industry has run into challenges as well. Dumping of chickens by the EU has threatened local players. The industry has also struggled under the weight of avian flu. Commercial egg production in South Africa has tumbled 17%, and over 1,000 workers have lost their jobs in the wake of the bird flu outbreak that started in June. So a sector with huge potential, but also a sector that comes with huge challenges. Alicia, you'll be getting into the meat of the matter in your discussions and providing a bit more analysis of what I've outlined here a little later in the show. So I'll hand it back to you. Thanks for that, Bronwyn. Well, meat is a staple in the continent's diet and the future for demand looks promising with a rapidly rising population. South Africa is one of the only countries that has industrialized its meat industry, but its farmers are still vulnerable to external shocks like drought or disease. Anton Penrensberg, who's executive at the Association of Meat Importers and Exporters, is with us in studio now to give us some insight into some of the opportunities and challenges associated with the industry right now. And Anton, thanks so much for joining us today. So let's get straight into it. And if you could give us a broad sense of the meat and poultry industry at the moment and the kind of supply demand we're actually looking at. I know I'm talking very broad strokes here, but just so we can get a sense of industry dynamic. Generally, South Africa's uh, demand has, has been weaker due to basic macroeconomic uh, factors. Uh, but... Uh, the, the market is, is controlled by many factors which swing uh, quite dramatically. We had avian influenza in Europe, which resulted in uh, South Africa banning Europe, and uh, although it should have been opened back in May and June, uh, DEF have decided not to open them pending visits uh, to Europe, which, which sadly have not been happening. They cite uh, financial constraints uh, to fund these visits, mm -hmm. and Europe is still closed which leaves us vulnerable uh, to import. And at, at this stage, we're only importing from the USA and from Brazil. Those are our main markets. The USA has the GOA trade agreement, which limits imports to 65,000 tons annually. And uh, then we're, we're in Brazil. And uh, obviously, if there's a lot of demand, uh, then prices go up in Brazil. Mm -hmm. so, so imports have been, have been muted for this year. Uh, and, and now we've had... Uh, the local avian influenza, which sadly has uh, had a huge impact locally and uh, it is causing prices to rise dramatically and there's a general shortage of, of specific cuts in South Africa. So let's talk about this because you talk <coughs> about import being uh, muted. Is there enough local capacity to actually cater to uh, local demand with local products? In our, my opinion, no, there's not enough capacity uh, even before, uh, uh, before the... Um, advent of the avian influenza, uh, we have traditionally imported around 12% of local consumption uh, and uh, excluding MDM which is used in the manufacturing industry which South Africa does not produce. So we've got consumption exceeding production right now and therein <coughs> lies the crux of it. How do you start 
importing uh, more so to cater to this demand because it seems to be a very uh, fine and tricky balancing act to perform right now without uh, putting local players out of business. Well, uh, the imports uh, got a foothold, especially on a product like Lake Quarters, mm -hmm. when brining was rampant in South Africa and the consumer identified this unbrined product uh, and, and migrated towards it more and more and more. Uh, fortunately, brining was limit, has been limited uh, uh, at, the, at the back end of last year, mm -hmm. uh, which has, has made our local product uh, better, in my opinion, and more competitive with, with the import product. Okay, so we're seeing a comp <coughs> oh, competitive muscle uh, start to increase somewhat. If we're talking about imports and that potentially posing a challenge to industry locally, why are local producers not taking advantage of export opportunity? How rife is that opportunity? Uh, local industry exports very little, little product. Um, we have a bilateral trade agreement with Europe, which, which means that uh, the local industry can actually export chicken back to Europe. Uh, they will cite many constraints. Uh, their plants unfortunately are not EU approved uh, and they have to spend a lot of money to get these plants up to speed. Uh, and whilst they're always telling us that they produce the highest and best quality chicken, uh, their plants do not meet the European Union standards. Uh, over and above that there are, there are many uh, uh, psychosanitary uh, impediments. Uh, we have specific diseases in Africa. Uh, but the big opportunity, in my opinion, is that they could export chicken breast to Europe, which is the highest value cut, uh, by flash frying it uh, and sending it to Europe. Uh, and there is a big market for this pre-cooked chicken breast in Europe. Uh, countries like Thailand uh, did that when they first had avian influenza back in 2003, and, uh, and they have dominated that market. Uh, so Africa has the advantage that there would be no quota system, because we have this bilateral agreement. And it is something which, sadly, I do not believe they've even considered exploiting. Is there enough support uh, from a regulatory perspective for industry, whether it be on a local production basis or uh, when it comes to tackling those potential export opportunities? In my opinion, no. We do not have enough government support. Uh, I think ITEC are, are trying very hard to develop uh, exports, uh, but they need the whole backup from the, the entire veterinary process. Uh, and, uh, and sadly, South Africa... Uh, and local industries is lacking in that. If you look at countries like Brazil, every plant has a government vet in the plant, uh, paid for by the plant, but uh, employed by the government. Mm -hmm. And then many of these factories have several veterinarians of their own in these factories to ensure the standard. And, and this is not the case in South Africa. So what's your outlook for the industry over the next couple of years? Well, well right, right now there's a, there's, there's, there's a big crisis. Uh, uh, industry is local industry in my opinion has been hit quite hard by avian influenza yeah uh, it does not seem to be something which is just going to go away overnight um, local industry however is very uh, is very profitable uh, if you look at the, the share price uh, they went to government some two years ago with a drought and, and cited poor financials and a, cl a dying industry uh, but the JC will tell you that uh, companies have gone from 120 rand to 186 rand uh, in one year. So there's money in, 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 in poultry and there's lots of opportunities for South Africa. It's within that context that you've <coughs> actually proposed a statutory levy of 500 rand per container being imposed on imported chicken. What's that expected to do? 
in the long run? The, there are very strict gu guidelines in which this, uh, this money can be used uh, and we would use it in part for opening markets, uh, developing export markets um, and, and, uh, and as I said there is a very uh, strict uh, control over how this money is spent, mm -hmm. uh, but we believe that this funding would, would assist the industry at large. Thanks so much, Anton, for having joined us in studio this evening. Of course, Anton van Rensburg is the executive at the Association of Meat Importers and Exporters. While bird flu and chicken dumping have been ruffling up RCL Foods' feathers, the consumer MD will be on the line with us straight after the break for some more insight on how it's navigating the current climate. So don't go away. Southern African chicken player RCL Foods has been pecking at unfair competition from the U.S. and Europe regarding cheap chicken imports. That's as those nations have been accused of offloading their lowest quality meat onto the African continent and particularly into South Africa. But the recent avian bird flu outbreak has left a gap in supply and local poultry industry players are struggling to keep up with consumer cravings. So RCL Foods Consumer Managing Director Scott Pittman joins us on the line now from Durban to detail how their uh, getting to grips with all of this. Scott, thanks so much for your time this evening. As you continue uh, to tackle this very big challenge of cheap imports or dumping into South Africa and that encroaching on business, the avian flu hits. And now importing product may be the only solution to cater to South African demand. So how hard has this hit business where the culling of birds has been a necessity? Hi, Alicia. Um the, the issue is not a crisis, um, and nor even a major concern at this stage, although obviously the future potential impact of AI, if it, is, if it does run more out of control, is uh, the biggest worry. But in the industry in total, um, it's affecting the breeding stock. It doesn't actually affect uh, the birds that we eat, because they're much more difficult, uh, it's much more difficult for them to get it because of the closed house environment and the shorter time period that they live. But it's the breeder stock um, that has been in the, in the broiler industry, the primary uh, area of uh, uh, being affected. Let's hone in on that area that's been affected then. I mean, what are some of the plans you're implementing to try and contain the situation and the broader impact it could potentially have if it uh, isn't contained? So obviously biosecurity is the one and only way in which one can keep uh, this virus out of your flocks. You're probably aware that we've never had high pathogenic avian influenza in South Africa in chicken um, before. We've only ever had low pathogenic uh, avian influenza in ostriches. So it's a new thing for South Africa, but biosecurity of poultry farms is not a new thing. Um, obviously, we've had to go through our biosecurity with an absolute fine-tooth comb to make sure that every possible area of uh, infection um, is covered off. And we're doing that much more rigorously um, than we ever have, if it was possible, because biosecurity of breeder flocks is always a very, very high priority uh, for the poultry industry. But it is a fact that most breeder farms 
are open-sided. You know, the breeders live for a couple of years while they lay eggs uh, of, the, of the broilers that we eat. Mm-hmm. And so by nature, it is a little bit more difficult to contain biosecurity if there are wild birds flying around um, and sometimes settling on your farms or on the sides of your um, hen houses. Absolutely. Well, we've already had forecasts suggest that the shortage of eggs could raise prices by as much as 20%. I mean, what kind of base assumptions have you made as far as cost to business is concerned and the ripple effect that is set to have on prices for consumers? Okay, so let me just clarify, obviously, the egg-laying industry is related to um, us, but it's a separate industry. They have lost a lot of the egg-laying capacity, as I understand it, something like 30 or 35 percent of total national production of egg layers have been lost. Um, But I can't talk for them. I can only talk for the broiler industry where breeder breeder capacity um, has been lost to a certain extent, but there are ways in which one can make up for that. And so we don't see any uh, rise in prices of chicken um, at this stage because, you know, um, I think in in total a few percent of uh, broiler capacity has been lost. And there are ways that one can make up for that gap. Um, The industry is busy finalizing a protocol with government at the moment for the importation of hatching eggs. Uh, from other countries and that will close quite a bit of the hole and companies hold egg banks and are able to draw eggs out of stock for the ones that they hatch um, later and so at this stage there's very little impact on the volume and therefore the price of uh, broiler meat. Okay, so let's take this now outside of that arena and into, uh, you know, what has been a very big challenge for local producers within the poultry industry, Scott, and that has been uh, the dumping of cheap uh, imports into the South African market. How much uh, progress have you made in terms of, uh, you know, trying to contain that and the kind of impact it's having on local industry? That, Alicia, is a much more significant um, current issue. Not that avian influenza may not become a very significant um, issue yeah. for broilers, but the dumping, um, you know, is, is con- continues. Yes, we have made some progress in that government implemented a 13% um, safeguard duty on the European Union. But what we see now is um, that volume switching back to Brazil and in the latest imports reading for the month of August uh, or September, I think it was, we see uh, Brazil back to 50% of total um, dumped imports of lead quarters. And that, that continues to rise um, despite the, um, the bit of work that has been done. It's been a bit frustrating in that, you know, we first started engaging with government nearly a year ago when they put the Crisis Action Committee in place to address these issues. And a few, they've done a few things, um, but um, they certainly, we haven't got close to solving the problem of dumping. So with that, it's still a very big problem then, Scott. Why is export opportunity not the obvious solution? Alicia, almost every country in the world protects their agricultural sectors by way of different um, tactics that they use. South Africa is not allowed to export a single kilogram of chicken to Europe, North America, South America, Australia, nearly every country in Africa Um, There there are virtually no places in the world where we're allowed to export chicken. Why? Because those countries all use um, mostly phytosanitary barriers, which are technical barriers, to prevent us because they've got their own industries and they're looking after them. Mm -hmm. In in return, South Africa allows almost anybody to export to us. So that's our massive frustration is the playing fields are not leveled. 
we are not allowed to export to anybody, even if we wanted to. <laughs> Only a few countries in the Middle East really um, allow South African exports, and even then it's very tight. Scott, very quickly, does that not then put the ball in our court to an extent, uh, asking the local poultry industry to up its games to those international standards? <laughs> No, that's not the point at all, Alicia. It's not that we don't sub subscribe to the international standards. In fact, we surpass them in most cases. But it's because South, uh, th those countries are protecting their own industries. So, for example, in Europe, they say you can't export chicken here because your ostriches have had bird flu. And they say they'll only, free, uh, they'll only open up our market once we've uh, proven that we don't have bird flu anymore. And, and they insist on doing that check themselves. And then they never come to check. And so... We would love to have the opportunity of exporting to Europe, but we just aren't allowed to. And the same applies to North America, um, and the same applies to all, most of those other countries. In Africa, they just ban imports. We're not allowed to export to Nigeria or Kenya or any of the African powerhouses because they've got their own interest in, uh, industries that they're building. Well, it's not about standards. Yeah. We subscribe to the British Poultry Association standards, which are amongst the highest in the world, and we tick against all of those. Um, and our, our quality of our poultry is as good as anything you'll get anywhere in the world, um, and, and therefore it's not about standards at all. Good place to leave it. Scott, thanks so much for having joined us on the line this evening. That, of course, was RCL Foods Consumer Managing Director Scott Pittman. Up next, amongst the many stocks trading on the JSC, meat carcasses are a tradable commodity as well. So we'll be finding out more about that shortly with the Bourse's Commodity Head. Don't go away. While trading futures on the JSC could be the key to protecting farmers and consumers from fluctuations in meat prices, especially in circumstances where drought can put a dampener on livestock supply. Rafael Karuai, who's commodities manager and head actually of commodities at the JSC, joins us in studio now to shed more light on the meat carcass trading environment. Thanks, Rafael, for joining us in studio uh, this evening. Me. So we've taken a look at some of the factors that have come to bear on rising prices, drought conditions, higher input, uh, pr uh, input prices, for example, and then the inability for farmers to actually pass those prices on to consumers at the end of the day within a very pressured consumer environment mm -hmm. right now. Are farmers starting to turn more so towards the derivatives market in a bid to hedge against that kind of risk? I mean, oh, are they seeing the relevance? Because mm -hmm. this didn't work 21 years ago. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, and you are quite uh, spot on in the sense that um, when we started the derivatives market in South Africa 20-odd uh, years ago, actually beef was uh, one of the first products. And you could imagine probably it was in a, in a country where um, derivative, derivative instruments were not known at all. Mm -hmm. So you can argue those were probably um, guinea pigs in a sense. So they didn't see the light. They, it was actually beef and potatoes. And both of them currently we don't, we don't trade them. Uh, and until we really introduced the grains. And, and what we felt really 20 years later was that um, 
we could now, given that the grains futures market has actually s uh, worked very well and for the benefit of the, of mm -hmm. the farmers, we could piggyback on that experience and reintroduce um, uh, the, beef, uh, the beef futures contracts. And uh, that's what we did. Uh, we currently now have a beef uh, carcass contract. Then we've got lamb as well, lamb carcass contract. We also just about a few months ago now introduced uh, wool, uh, merino wool uh, product as well. Mm -hmm. um, I must add that uh, the traction, the, the, the uptake from the farmers was not really as we would have uh, wanted. Uh, you know, we, we felt that perhaps now that we have got this 20 years experience, it was easy because you'd find that some of the feedlots that uh, operate these uh, um, uh, uh, institutions actually use um, grain futures instruments uh, yeah. because because like yellow maize you would know it's a, it's a, it's a bulk it's a, it's a big input uh, into into the feed production for, for so cattle. you would be relying on less of an education process exactly. needing to happen but unfortunately it, it, it's it, it what shows is that we have to actually go through a full educational drive and that's what we have been doing so far um, we, we have partnered with uh, <coughs> institutions like your Red Meat Abattoirs Association. Um, uh, we attend their farmer days um, to try and entice the farmers and actually just to tell them um, what are the benefits of, of having. Okay, uh, of so spell out the incentive for us, Raphael, because to a large extent we've had drought conditions uh, having helped build your case, I guess, uh, sure. where uh, yeah. the imperative is <coughs> to lock in favorable prices at a favorable time. That is correct. So, so in essence, what, what, what that means is that um, let, let's, let's take the, the case in point, which is your, your drought that, that we had a couple of, uh, you know, the past two seasons now. Uh, because of that drought that we experienced, a lot of cattle died. Mm -hmm. And um, what we see now, why the prices are spiking high, is the fact that the, the farmers are now holding back, their, they, they, they try to restock their herd. And as a result, there's not enough out there. And because of those fundamentals of supply and demand, we see that uh, the, the prices are going up. Now, the financial instruments like your beef carcass is not really going to, uh, to help you manage the, you know, it's, it's, it, the, the, what is the, uh, the price per se. But all it does is it's going to allow you to actually lock in mm -hmm. that favorable price. So what do we mean by that? Um, say we are now in... October, uh, and we know that the price the prices has been uh, quite high, and we are heading towards the uh, festive season in towards December. A farmer has got a couple of uh, heads of uh, yearlings that uh, he knows he needs to offset by December when it's Christmas time. Mm -hmm. But because there was a shortage in the market, probably during that time everybody is going to dump their their cattle, uh, f you know, for slaughter. Uh, and you could be worried that uh, by that time when everybody dumps their stock, uh, the prices are going to be suppressed downwards. Yeah. And currently, if you look at the market, uh, you know, a, an A grade is at, it's trading at around 46 rand a kilogram. So what would you do as a farmer who has got a hedging instrument that is offered through the JSE? You would typically go through your broker and sell uh, your your beef, you know your your beef carcass mm -hmm. at that price. Now remember also as a farmer, really your 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 aim, main aim is not to run for the highest price. 
is what we call hedge. In other words, you really want to make sure that you run a profitable operation. Let's leave it there, Rafael. Thanks so much for having joined us in studio this evening. Of course, Rafael Karuai is uh, head of commodities at the JSC. Well, that's where we leave things with you for this week, but you can catch us at the usual time and place next week again. That's from me, Alicia Seckham, and the rest of the team. It's goodbye for now.